Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Emily Kennedy of Marinus Analytics and fellow Carnegie Mellon alumnus joins me for a rocking chat about collaboration in a startup environment. We talk about the different tools she uses and the unique challenges that startups encounter at any point, never mind in a pandemic. Let's get it on. Emily, where does this podcast find you? Beautiful, sunny Colorado. <laughs> Pretty nice that this time of year. It is, you know. Uh, we moved here two years ago, and every t- and I'm originally from California. Lived in Pittsburgh for a bit when I was at Carnegie Mellon, but uh, you know, Carnegie Mellon pride. But uh, it was funny coming to Colorado because after our first winter and this one too, which has pro- been probably easier than last winter, even um, we kept saying to our friends, "Wow, Colorado winter is not that bad." And they said, yeah, we know. Don't tell anyone because we don't want anyone else to move here. But it's really not that bad. You get some snow, but it's so sunny, so you don't get depressed. And so, yeah, it's been great so far. Now, when you moved from California to Colorado, in a way, your work life didn't change because you've been working from home for about eight years. That's right. Whole career. So that may not have changed, but you can't tell me that over eight years, you've used the same tools as when you started. So talk a little bit about how the tools you use then compare to the tools you use today. What what do you like? What do you not like as much? How did you change? Why did you change? Sure. Well, thinking back, I think the only tool that comes to mind that I was using back at the beginning of my career that I've used to this present day would just be iCal, iCalendar, Google Calendar, anything that gets you multiple calendars. Um, I think my friends probably think I'm crazy because I don't just use, uh, you know, computer calendars or whatever you'd call them, internet uh, cloud calendars in the cloud. I don't just use them for work. I use them for personal stuff. We have a family Google Calendar that we share to stay on the same page about events or, you know, uh, being out of the house or just different things we have to do. Um, And then I, of course, use it for work. So we've got different calendars for different teams. And then I have other calendars that I use for personal things, like remembering what I need to do throughout the day. Um, As someone who's worked from home for a long time, I have lunch literally on my calendar because... uh, First starting out uh, in the startup, it was like you're working anytime, but lunch would often fall by the wayside. And I started to realize like I need some boundaries and it's okay to say, no, I cannot meet because I know that I won't get to eat between meetings if I don't say no. Um, But yeah, I'm obsessed with Google Calendar, iCal, all of that, having it on my phone. Um, I've learned recently that that is new for some people. Like they may have it on their computer, but they don't have it on their phone. Um, Definitely to each his own, right? Because different people have different ways that they work. But for me, having it accessible on my phone is just really, really important. I 
you know, say, and I've heard it said before, that you should be a student of your calendar. And that means, you know, looking at your whole calendar at the beginning of the week, looking at your calendar for the next day. Because for me, someone who works with people across multiple time zones, uh, you know, usually I don't have meetings before 8 a.m., but I might. And if I don't look, I'm going to forget about it. So just things like that. I mean, iCal mm-hmm. has been one that I've used since forever, basically. I notice in a productivity app called Todoist that I use, they'll give you um, almost a gamified version of it, which day are you most productive? And then at the end of the year, right? So I got the grand poobah, comma, karma type thing with 5,000 completed tasks. But in a way that's misleading because a task for me might be shaving my head. And it actually is not to give too much information. That's a lot different than finishing a chapter of a book or making sure that I launch a marketing campaign or something like that. So I, I'm, I'm intrigued. You have your system, but collaboration by definition exists with other people. So you could be all jazzed about a calendar system, right? But it could be tough for you to compel someone else to use it. So have you had any challenges in the past getting people to use your tool versus theirs or not want to use a tool at all because they were old school? Oh, yeah. A big problem has been um, that naturally, as is common um, across our team, we have different people using different OSs. So I'm a Mac user, but we have Windows users on the team. And a lot of the Windows users use Outlook. And I have no idea about Outlook. I've never used it. And um, I actually have a horror story. Maybe some of the listeners could tell me if I missed anything. But um, about a year ago, I thought, okay, you know, it was kind of like a issue because sometimes people on my team would say, oh, I don't see that on my calendar and I can't look. And I've been kind of our de facto IT person as a small company, although I'm not really trained in that, but you know, I'll kind of try to figure things out. And so there's been situations where other team members will say, I don't see that on my calendar and I can't just look at my own uh, platform and see what's wrong because I'm using you know, the iCal on, on Mac. And so, uh, at one point I said, okay, I'm going to, uh, get Outlook and I'm going to figure it out so that I can be on, you know, on the same page and make it easier. I spent a whole week trying to figure out Outlook, trying to connect it to iCal and Google Calendar, not to iCal, but to Google calendars. And what I could not for the life of me figure out was I saw that you could view uh, Google calendars and Outlook, but I cannot figure out how to edit them. And so basically, yeah, it was read only. And what oh, happened read only. Was then I ended up with like uh, duplications all over my calendar. I couldn't figure out which way was up for a whole week. And finally, I said, okay, this is not working. I'm throwing it out because like this is hopeless. Um, and I'm just so used to using iCal on my phone and just the ease of it and how it works with everything else that I do, it just became really difficult. So um, I switched back to iCal. I've never looked back, um, but it seems to have worked okay for our Outlook users. Um, I had We had some interns actually just help everyone figure everything out. Um, so we seem to be good now. Um, there doesn't seem to be any issues and we can have you know different calendars for different teams and whatnot. Um, so it seems, seems like we've figured it out okay. <laughs> it was a nightmare. Talk to me a little bit about training as someone who runs a company. Um, many times I find 
people just expect others to pick up something new. There may be formal training, right? But if it's for calendar, are you really going to send someone out to training path when people do that? Or you just expect someone to pick up a tool on his or her own time. And apart from it being, I guess, a little bit presumptuous, if you only learn the bare minimum, insert um, office space tone of voice there, then how do you get people to rise above, right? Just using that 20%, that 80% of the people use? Is it, do you think it should be the employee's responsibility, the companies, or does it depend? I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts. Mm, I think it depends on the size and the stage of the company. So uh, actually, so, one of our team members just posted on Slack uh, earlier today, Oh, remember at Marinus Analytics, Scrappy is our middle name. And that is so true. Like we are a scrappy company. We have been around for uh, six years now, almost actually seven. That's crazy. About six and a half years now. And we uh, just broke about, you know, 10, 11 people. So we're small. And to so to be on our team, you basically are scrappy. That's our culture. And so it's very like, everyone needs to be open to figuring out problems on their own. Not to say that we're saying, hey, you're without a a paddle and good luck, but that's just the spirit that we have. Now, um, if people have questions, we'll definitely, as a team, try to figure things out. So it's not like that, you know, people are just left alone if they have a problem. But I think it's just, we try to figure things out. We try to solve problems as a team. I think we kind of haven't hit that size where we would have formal trainings or, you know, because the other element is that as a small company, we're doing a lot with, in my opinion, a lot less resources than, you know, a big company would have. So we're not going to know all of the ins and outs of like Outlook necessarily. We're going to kind of know what we need to know to get the job done. And then I think as we grow, we do get a little bit more luxury to, you know, take a little bit more time, invest in more training. I think we're kind of at that tipping point now Hmm. where we're starting to do a little bit more of that. Uh, But it's definitely been a long time coming as a small startup. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see as your company grows, if collaboration does become harder Um, in my new book, um, hashtag shameless self-promotion. I have put a Propose this theory that collaboration is fairly easy if you're at five, seven, ten employees. But to your mm-hmm. point, and I've seen this many times uh, in my consulting career or on the client side or as a college professor, you get to hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands, then collaboration can become very difficult. But you're still in that sweet spot, I would agree. If someone's not collaborating, it's going to become very obvious. But if you've got different departments and divisions and something is broken, it could take you a long time to figure out the person responsible. Um, right. You can just tap someone on the shoulder and go, hey, dude, what the hell? Right. Yeah. Or Slack them. Yeah. And Slack has been, you asked about tools. Slack has been another huge for us, Zoom. I remember when we first adopted Slack, uh, probably around uh, 2015-ish. Oh, you were um, an early adopter of Slack too, huh? Because that when it was just... I would say leads. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I remember one of my team members brought it to me and said, hey, we should use this because we were getting probably what everyone who is on Slack has experienced into that spiral of all of us internal team members are emailing each other and having a conversation. And then emails get lost in client emails and whatever else you're getting in. Um, And 
it's just kind of a nightmare. So it took a little bit of time because I think for some of our team members, it was like, why, when would I use Slack versus using something else? And, you know, uh, get there's a learning curve and understanding like the channels and what to put where. Um, But obviously we found it really, really helpful. And now it's a huge part of our team because we operate across multiple states, multiple time zones. um, And we've got, you know, different parts of our team. So just little things were really helpful. Like, Uh, Something I realized, and this kind of ebbs and flows, like what channels do you need in Slack over time? But uh, there was one point a couple years ago when I realized, okay, in the middle of like the biz dev channel, we are brainstorming about something else. And the kind of day-to-day conversation is getting lost in brainstorming, which as we all know, brainstorming can get out of control very fast. And so it was just as simple at the time. I don't think we use it anymore, but at the time as making a brainstorming channel, it's like, just put your thoughts here. Um, And the other thing I love about Slack, so two things, I guess I could say. One is that you can search for any conversation at any time, which is also a lot what I do with my email. Just I'm the type of person who thinks in terms of words. And so uh, it's really easy to search and figure you know, find old conversations or remember things that you forgot. Uh, Something else that I didn't discover until last year of using Slack is that you can, for a message, you can click the dot, dot, dot next to someone's message and click remind me in 10 minutes, 20 minutes, because it really happens often. And anyone who's used Slack has probably experienced this, that sometimes messages can get lost. And so if someone says, hey, Emily, can you do this on Slack? If I'm like on a phone call or a meeting or something, but I see it come in and I know that I'm going to lose it, I'll just click that remind me and it keeps it at the top of mind later on, um, which is really helpful. And I didn't discover that until last year. So highly recommend. That's a good one. You can also, I think they still have that in their star message. Yes. Um, But no, the reminder one, and that's just the basic one. I just got off the phone a little while ago with a guy from Mercado and they do automation uh, within these collaboration hubs, but also outside of them with with third-party systems, ERP, CRM, blah, blah, blah. Um, You can even supercharge those as well. And then you can view a list of reminders. I think it's backslash reminders, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, nice. And I like to use those if it is, to your point, something, you know, I don't want to deal with this right now, I'll deal with it tomorrow. But is it necessarily a task? Going back to Todoist, and yes, you can integrate Todoist with Slack and some of these other hubs as well. I know that I need to do something, right? Um, I don't want to set up a task to email or DM Emily. That just seems so right. to me. Right, so, right. But, but it is fascinating hearing the different personal choices you made. Um, it doesn't surprise me though that you jumped on Slack early because being a Carnegie Mellon alum, you just understand the power of tech. And I, I often wonder if a lot of people are overwhelmed, which is understandable technology is everywhere these days and just don't want to learn something new versus having the mindset of, oh, cool, there's got to be a better way than just responding to emails and getting things lost. Yeah. I mean, I think that can be hard too, because a lot of, at least in my experience, a lot of getting used to new tools or like finding new tools that change the way you work um, is a lot of trial and error. Some tools will 
work for you that won't work for other teams. Um, and so some of it is you just have to try a couple and see what works. Um, and so that's been definitely something for our team as well, you know, uh, starting with, I think we started with base for our CRM and kind of customer management. And then now we use pipe drive, um, and kind of just figuring out what works for the team as you go. Um, you know, you get how it is. You got to try a couple different things. Mm-hmm. I hadn't heard of Pipetrap before. Is that um, a CRM a little bit scaled down from Salesforce? Because I know that Salesforce, um, I'll put it politely, has got sometimes a little bit too much functionality for people. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So I don't use Pipedrive day to day, but our team uses it to track um, like incoming deals and deals that are at the quote level and the close level, keep track of like churn and things like that. So you do some analytics around those, huh? Yeah, we do analytics. And then um, it also integrates with your email. So if you're looking at kind of uh, keeping on top of who is emailing who in the team, because we now have two people who uh, primarily work on customer engagement and things like that, um, and kind of de-conflicting who is doing what. And that's been another thing as our team has grown is, okay, we actually have two people working on this. Now we need to make sure that they're not duplicating efforts. I think that's been one of the more challenging things in scaling up a team. And again, we're talking small, you know, five to 10 people. But it's like, as me and my partner take our hats off and give them to other people, how do we make sure that they're not duplicating effort? And how do we grow them and their strengths and their areas of focus, make sure that they're differentiated enough that uh, everyone is like being efficient and doing their own thing, but also working together. So, but that's more of a management thing than a tool thing, I guess. You know way too much for someone who's so young. You're not supposed to figure this out until your (laughs) forties. Believe me, I feel in my forties at this point. (laughs) But no, you all kidding aside. um, you're developing this institutional muscle memory. I mean, you're asking long-term questions and I know your company's been around for a while, but while you're still relatively small. And I think about some of the startups that fail. There's an example in the new book again, gosh, I got to stop quoting <laughs> it, but it's, it's actually relevant here. Of a friend of mine who worked at a startup in Manhattan and it wound up failing precisely because its business processes were so informal and not documented mm. as it started to grow. It was oh, just yeah. chaos. Yeah, we've been there where you look, and this was at the more of the beginning and scaling, and you look at our biz dev and it's like, we couldn't really tell what was going on with it. So then when you try to hire people to support, it, it's sort of like if you have... If the, if the problem is that you have team members that are not connected enough or not collaborating in, or communicating enough, then you can't scale. And I know that's the whole joke about, uh, you know, expressions that you can say in any business conversation when you weren't listening, but you want to sound like you're listening. And one of the questions is, but will it scale? And I know that's a joke, but that is literally what I think about all the time. And obviously we're not we're maybe not obviously, but we're not planning to grow our company to hundreds of thousands of employees. But I've grown that, like you said, muscle of constantly thinking about, okay, if we hire someone, uh, you know, underneath someone else, is that going to work? Is, are the processes documented? Are, does, do, if someone, you know, we're in COVID, if someone gets COVID and can't work for a month, 
will we be able to cover them and know what they do and know what needs to be done? So I think that's been part of our maturing because it wasn't always that way. You know, in the beginning as a startup, you're all wearing 10 hats and you don't really have time to kind of document everything and tell everyone what everyone else is doing. That feels like a waste of time. But as you grow, in my experience, past about five people, that's when you start to need some of those processes where you document, you've got like Dropbox organized so people can find things. You know, if someone were to become sick, you can figure out um, how to cover what they cover, you know, and that also comes from the management side of having the job descriptions really, uh, really honed in and updating them as people grow or get promoted. Um, so it all like kind of ties in together. Sure. All the more reason to use a tool like Slack, because again, if it's a private channel, yes, you can invite people to private channels and there's a privacy concern there. If people are talking about something um, they don't want it known to other people, but if it's a public channel, then you not only you've got your job description, right? However you have it in a Google doc or whatever, but then you could conceivably under an emergency situation, discover some of the informal stuff as well. And you mitigate the risk of someone leaving with all the knowledge in his or her head. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we are very much a team where like every team member is extremely valuable, but you can't just, um, as a manager or an owner, you can't just have, like no backup plan. Um, obviously, our team members are valuable and that's important, but we also need to have kind of uh, contingency plans for what happened, what may happen. And that's what we did uh, formally with our team. I think, can't remember, maybe like April or I can't remember if it was March, but we basically said, okay, everyone list, you know, everything that you're currently doing that's really important. We need uh, you to say who is the backup for each of those tasks and, you know, everyone talk, chat with each other and make sure that you could, you know, handle taking on just briefly if you needed to, you know, the emergency things that someone else does. So yeah, Slack has been really good for that. And like you said, you can, or like we talked about before, you can search back at old conversations. So if someone has some really important knowledge, you might that might really help you in kind of an emergency situation. And also, you know, it's important to me that we have boundaries because as someone who's worked from home my whole life and or my whole career and our team has been fully remote since March, uh, we usually were, the rest of my team was in a co-working space, but um, has been remote since March it's really important to have boundaries. So at our orientation, we talk about how, uh, and also because we're in different time zones, we talk about how, okay, if someone messages you on Slack outside of your time zones working hours, you're not expected to reply until you're back in office. Because with things like Slack, it's easy for people to feel like, oh, I'm just, can be called anytime. And they may want to, you know, do their best job or want to be available, but that can become really stressful. I know when you're, you know, I was that person who was like checking my email at 3 a.m. And that's just really bad for mental health. So we said, okay, you know, work stuff is on Slack. We also have fun channels too, but work stuff is on Slack. Please respond during regular working hours. If you get a message that's not in your working hours, just wait till the next business day. That's fine. And uh, 
we have, you know, everyone's phone numbers so that if there is an emergency, like some server goes down, we'll call or text you. But otherwise, we will not call or text you unless there's basically an emergency because I want people, because that's what I know I would want. I want people to feel like my phone, my work is not attacking me through my phone when I'm trying to like chill on the couch. Like people need boundaries. Um, and that's something that I had to put into my own life because in the first two to three years of the startup, it was like work any time of day, work on the weekends, work whenever and have no boundaries. And that could work for a while, but for me, it was not good long-term. I'll get you out of here on two questions. A or number one, give me an example of one of these fun Slack channels. So probably my favorite one is the daily dog channel. And that's where you just post pictures of your dog. Sometimes cats get in there every now and then, but it's mostly dogs. <laughs> There's no quality control, damn it. Nope. Well, hey, with AI, they'd be able to block them, right? Build a that's little a classifier. Point. Someone should make like a little Slack plugin to block cats. <laughs> Don't want to make cats mad at you. And then <laughs> uh, give me a book that you're reading now. Oh, book that I'm reading. Well, I'm reading Becoming by Michelle Obama. It's really good, as you could imagine. I mean, that's like, you know, obvious, but it's great. And I did not know a lot of her um, backstory. Uh, so it's just been really nice. I, I'm really a fan of, I am a fan of like business books um, and self-help type books, but I'm also a huge fan of just like lots of fiction um, and then, you know, biographies and things like that to kind of get me out of uh, work mode. But I find that I apply those things to my work life more than more than you might think, which is kind of nice. Good stuff, Emily. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard and how can you not, please download, like or subscribe. Merci, gracias, obrigado to the producer of this podcast, podcastedition.com. You guys rock. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to conversations about collaboration. If you like what you heard and how can you not please download like and or subscribe. See you next time.